Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio. Good evening, Metsville and baseball fans everywhere. My name is Michael Colin, a.k.a. the Brooklyn Trolley Blogger, and I welcome you to episode number 54 of a Metsian podcast. Uh, this is our respectful attempt at social distraction, and on behalf of my partners here, uh, thank you for taking time and tuning in. Uh, with no further ado, let me bring my partners in. Uh, for the moment, Sam uh, will be joining us shortly. But we have Rich, hailing from Connecticut. How are you, my friend? Doing well, Mike. Um, you know, uh, good weather weekend, so it was nice to get outside a bit, and uh, you know, which is one form of distraction, right? Looking forward to yet another as we talk some baseball tonight. And this evening's guest, she returns to the show. She's Anna Bryce. She hails from Arizona presently, but she calls herself a Jersey girl. Uh, big Mets fan, big Ranger fan. Welcome back to the show, like I said. Thank you for coming back. And uh, in your words, please uh, give us a bio about yourself. Sure. Hi. Thanks again, gentlemen, for inviting me back. I'm really happy to be here again. And I am a Jersey girl. I was born in New York City, grew up in New Jersey. And 13 and a half years ago, I moved to Scottsdale, Arizona, and I do have a marketing services company called Pinnacle Peak Marketing, and that is named after a really beautiful mountain right down the road from here called Pinnacle Peak Mountain. And um, I, you know, I work for myself, and I do work um, out of a home office, so it's uh, it hasn't been too much of a change work-wise uh, in routine. It except for the fact that it is now taking me about seven weeks to use a full tank of gas. So that's kind of fun. Between Rich, Sam, and myself, you know, we've been kind of painting a picture uh, of the tri-state area, me being in Brooklyn, Rich, in Connecticut, and Sam usually coming to us from New Amsterdam, Manhattan Island. Uh, You're in Arizona, as we said. Uh, do us a favor and, and, and paint the picture for the western west in this country as to how the folks in Arizona are going about and handling this pandemic. Right. Um, I think people have been pretty good. Now, we do have that very big divide of um, – people thinking that the restrictions were too much and 
there's a lot of people who feel like wearing face masks is um, oppression. Um, the good thing about Arizona is we have a lot of outdoor things to do. And even with the restrictions, one of the big things that the governor had always encouraged is get outdoors, go ahead and hike, go ahead and walk, get on your bike. You know, the weather is still good, although we have had some really hot weeks. This past week was absolutely beautiful, almost, and I'm saying this, you know, uh, being a little facetious, almost cold because what my husband and I do is we go hiking at about 5.30, 6 o'clock at night. And the weather this past week has been spectacular. It's been breezy. It's been cool. So we joke, oh, it's almost cold. Um, there's a lot of trails out here, so it allows for people to hike safely. Like the trails we have up here in North Scottsdale are not heavily populated. So I can go to a trail. I could see a lot of cars in the parking lot and then hardly see people on the trails. A lot of them are biking, and then some are walking. And even at that, we usually only see a couple people here and there, and everybody's been real respectful, and this is what we do. If we see someone coming in the opposite direction, we step off the trail, let them pass. We all you know, give each other a wave and a hi, thank you for doing that, and then we continue on our way. We definitely have a group of people who did the protest down at the governor's office, you know, too many restrictions. But in my opinion, the governor was actually very slow in restricting things like hair salons and tattoo parlors, and he never restricted golf. So that was always considered a, quote, unquote, essential service. But um, hair salons and tattoo parlors were open quite long and late in this whole process and then he did finally um, close those and that caused a lot of people not to be happy but you know for the most part people are being respectful being um, you know a, a lot of people wearing masks there are certain stores that are requiring them like Costco but I've heard complaints about that and this is the way I solved it I'm not thrilled to wear a mask and I do wear one and what I did was I bought one, and it's a New York Mets one, so now I really have no excuse not to wear it. So that's what I did. <laughs> With every passing day, Governor Cuomo here in New York State, uh, he's having difficult issues. Uh, let's just put it that way. Uh, but he accurately says that New York City is indeed the canary in the coal mine. Now, I'd, re I'd be remiss. You sound in good spirits, but I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you about how you were doing personally, your family, your loved ones, how are they making out? Right. So for us, for my husband and I, we don't have any children, so we actually talked about this. We think we've had an easier time than our friends who have children because it's literally just us. And I work from home for the most part, however, I'm used to having appointments and meetings and things like that. So being home for like three, 
you know, days at a stretch is definitely unusual and weird. My husband is usually traveling two out of four weeks of the month. So having him home all four weeks is a little strange, but I'm used to him working from home the two weeks a month that he, you know, is home. So it hasn't been too much of a change in that regard. We are used to going out to dinner on Fridays and Saturday nights, and we're not doing that anymore, but we are doing takeout because we want to support restaurants, you know, especially small family restaurants. We want to support them and hope that they can, you know, stay in business and make it through this tough time. One thing that I've noticed online is I've seen a lot of people saying that they are having a hard time convincing their elderly parents to stay in and stay home. And I am so thankful that my siblings and I do not have that problem. My parents, now my father's a retired physician, so he understands this really well. But they are staying in and they have been in now for eight weeks. They have not set foot outside. My sister is the one that goes grocery shopping for them, but even when she comes, she keeps her distance. She doesn't want to be touching, you know, their laptop screens or iPads or anything like that. But she does the grocery shopping for them, so they do not have to go out. When I, I talk to them every day, and, you know, I'm asking them, are you okay? And they're very perky, very chippy. Yeah, we're great. Are you bored yet? Nope. We're not bored. I mean, they're just so positive through all this. You know, and they're 87 and 82, but they're so positive during all this that, you know, I'm really thankful for that. And then what we did a couple weeks ago, and we're going to do one this week, is we did a big family Zoom phone call. And all of my nieces and nephews, all of my siblings and our spouses got on the Zoom call with my parents so they could see everybody, and we're going to do it again. And it was just great to be able to do something like that. So that, That's good news. Uh, I definitely want to get into the, the burgeoning American backlash. At this time, let's bring Sam on the show. Sam, how are you, and how are things going? That's, a, that's a, where we are at this point. Hey, guys. Um, I am doing all right. I'm actually uh, finishing up a delivery uh, currently. Um, I will be ready to go. I was just uh, queuing in to listen, uh, but I will be able to to, uh, speak in about 10 to 15 minutes or so, maybe even earlier. I'll talk to you guys soon. Anna, glad to hear you're doing all right. Your parents are great. Nice to hear from you, Sam. Sam Maxwell, everyone. We'll hear from him again shortly. Rich, uh, finish short, I should say, continue painting that picture in Connecticut for us. Well, um, you know, it's basically the same, you know, as what Anna was saying, where, you know, the rules here are if you can't socially distance, then face coverings are required. So if you're going to the grocery store, you know, which, of course, you know, the six feet thing and the one way down the aisles. So, um so that that's the rule, and and I'm sensing that a lot of people are having you know frustration with it. Um, when people are out exercising, 95% of them do not wear face coverings again, and they do try. And I 
went on a bike ride yesterday and a run today. I try to keep my distance from people. If I see people coming, I, you know, like Anna said, I yield to them and let them go by, and there's a wave and stuff like that. Um, so, but I, I'm very concerned, actually, because now that we're getting into the nicer weather, and especially with the holiday weekend coming up next weekend, I live in a beach town, as I've mentioned, and I think the beaches, the beaches were crowded this weekend. And, um, you know, I, they say keep your six feet distance unless that's somebody who lives in your house. Well, uh, the police were all over the place. You know, when I was on my bike ride, there were cops on bikes looking at us to make sure we were all, you know, a few feet apart. Um, but they're going to get overwhelmed. I mean, the police aren't going to be able to enforce this, uh, especially on a holiday weekend. They're limiting um, the number of people who can go to state parks. They shut it down after a certain number of cars and all that. So you know, government officials are trying to do the right thing, but I just think they're going to get overrun as, as the um, – Weather gets warmer, and I'm hoping that, hoping against hope, that we don't see a spike. You know, the state's going to start to reopen on Wednesday. Phase one will be outdoor seating at restaurants. And, and tell me, this isn't funny. You have to wear a face covering, except when you're eating. Okay. Well, I'm not sure about that, but all right. Mm. So you have to, <laughs> the, uh, help me understand that one, please. You know, so the servers have to have face coverings and gloves. Patrons have to have, you can only sit with people you came with. And it has to be five, no more than five people at the table, table six feet apart. When you go to the bathroom, you have to have um, face covering on. There will be somebody in a restaurant employee at the, at the bathroom making sure no more than one person at a time. Um, so that's phase one, is outdoor seating only at restaurants with those restrictions. Uh, hair salons will open on Wednesday if they want to. And then phase two will be June 20th, where, you know, if maybe there will be some indoor seating, depending on how things go. But, you know, the thing is, um, I, I, maybe somebody can explain this to me. The thing that Connecticut is using, which I think most states are using, is hospitalizations as the metric. And hospitalizations have been dropping for – we've had 21 days with one day that it went up, other than that 20 days of consistent dropping – and they're saying that's a really good sign, and, you know, that means we can, we can start to open in phases. Okay, but the number of cases every day we're averaging 600 new cases, and that's not going down at all. So I'm, I'm just wondering what in the hell is going on here, and I, I really hope they're not making the wrong decision. I understand, you know, I completely understand small restaurants, hair salons, all those folks are hurting. You need to get them back to work for their own viability. I completely understand that, but I don't know. It, to me, it's like if, if the number of cases isn't declining, I just don't understand how you can open up, even if the hospitalizations are going down. What that essentially tells me is, okay, so you have more room in the hospital for when you get sick. Is, is that a good strategy? I mean, re really? I, I'm not following that. So anyway. It sounds um, like thin to me. Like right. pick the number that fits your narrative. Well, right, and they're all doing it. I mean, New York's doing the same thing, you know, where, yep. where they're, oh, hospitalizations, you see Cuomo every day. Hospitalizations going down. Okay, but you still have a lot of cases. You know, they're going up, and deaths are going well, up. So, you know, numbers you know, are, are – I'm sorry, go ahead. What's that? No, sorry, go ahead, Mike. I was going to say numbers are such that you could torture them to say anything just about. And uh, I said right. this a couple of shows ago in jest, and I, I'll say it in jest again. Remember, they told us the air is safe. All right. <laughs> Sam, are you right. back with us? Just a question. Right. 
family um, with us. Going on. I I have I have one more uh, delivery to do, but I have a little bit of time in between, so I can certainly oh, no. speak to. Just I can I can you. certainly. Right. Hey, you can hear me, right? I can hear you, Sam. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. So, no, I was saying that I have one del- more delivery, uh, but I have a little bit of time in between that delivery, and then I'm going to be done, and, and I will be officially uh, a Messian podcast bound. But I will say in terms of, uh, of Manhattan, you know, it, it's – Mike, you and I talked about it earlier that I still feel like the streets are rather empty. There were a lot of people out today, but they seem to be – you know, they're wearing masks, they're wearing gloves. They're staying six feet apart. You know, bars are starting to do the sidewalk cocktails. Uh, some places you certainly see a lot of people. It's basically the bars have just are outside now, you know, in many ways. Uh, there's just not obviously these humongous large gatherings that we're used to seeing on, like, you know, Fridays and Saturday nights at certain bars. People are not swarming together in that type of way, uh, which is obviously a good thing. Um but you see, obviously, people are, are craving some social uh, uh, connection without it just being on a, a six or seven inch screen or whatever these sizes are. Um, you know, I, you can you can certainly feel that going on. Uh, but but you know, generally speaking, and and Mike, you were saying that you feel like traffic in Brooklyn has has been uh, uh, peaking a little bit. I feel like Manhattan still seems, and maybe because Manhattan has so much traffic, and like I, I mentioned a few weeks ago, Manhattan has so much traffic coming in from Jersey, coming in from Connecticut, Long Island, coming in from all different places other than New York. So I, I, I think that that's one of the reasons why the traffic is still rather light here on the island of Manhattan. All right, go make that delivery, my friend, and uh, get back to us. In the meantime... Allow me, if you will, to give this show a little bit of context and, and put us on its path. Uh, this is something I wrote leading into the show. In the immortal words of Cindy Lauper, <laughs> back in the 1980s, uh, mm-hmm. I cracked up when I thought of that. But money changes everything. That's what she said all these years later. It appears that she's, that, that she's never been more right. And if you're familiar with the old expression, life imitates sports and sports imitates life, then you're well aware baseball is no different. If not, then pay attention, folks, because this is a future social studies lesson in the making. Lo and behold, in Major League Baseball, we have billionaires versus millionaires publicly arguing over what else? Money. Of course, we're only scratching the surface. How people and fans and athletes really feel is now only beginning to be revealed. If a viral pandemic isn't enough to fret over, then brace yourselves because here comes social conflict and the great clash for cash to further complicate the day. This is what I wrote today. A growing number of Americans, as we pointed out earlier, you, Anna, specifically, a growing number of Americans want their country reopened immediately and are taking to the streets in protest against perceived government overreach and public and individual restraint. So there we go. Let's blend life and sports together. Uh, how do we do that? I, I don't know. But I, I, I think this is interesting. Uh, let's start with people. Protest is the American way. Whether you agree with the given protest is another matter. Open discussion. 
Anna, I'll let you pick up where you left off. Okay. So a couple of things. I, in the very beginning, so, you know, say end of February, I kind of thought that we were overreacting, you know, as we were starting to think about things and what needs to be done. Even when I was on this podcast the last time, I don't remember the date of the podcast, but it was the very beginnings of what do we think is going to happen with spring training and baseball season and will it be delayed? So at that point, of you know when i was on the podcast last time we we did not know what was going to happen and i was kind of in the the side of we might be overreacting and then i saw someone post and say something along the lines of you know we'll only know if we overreacted because things went well like will it'll be too late to know we underreacted. And I was like, huh, that's true. So I, my, my tune changed at that point because it's almost better to overreact than underreact. And don't get me wrong, I understand this means a ton to small businesses or any businesses. If we overreact too much, do we completely destroy the economy? So I get that. But the other thing I saw a couple of weeks ago, someone had tweeted that people are mistaking inconvenience for oppression. And I was like, aha, that is the perfect description. Look, I don't like this. I want to go out and have dinner in the restaurant like I usually do, sitting at the bar with my husband, talking to the bartender, enjoying a meal. I would love to get back to that. And even though restaurants are open right now, we're taking the cautious side and we're not going. We're holding off a month. So June 15th, we're reevaluating. Same with gyms. Our gym, which is Orange Theory, is opening uh, the 28th of May. Some gyms opened this week. We're taking the let's wait one month and see. So we're waiting till June 15th to make a decision of whether we wait or go ahead. Um, the protests, sure, I understand the protests and go ahead and protest if you feel you should. I find it ironic and hypocritical that people are protesting and yelling the words oppression and they're wearing a mask doing it. And then let's not get into the storming the Michigan Capitol with guns, but wearing masks and saying you're overstepping. Well, if you really truly believe they're overstepping, why are you wearing a mask? Getting awfully confusing out there, Rich. Social comment on your part? Well, yeah, it's like you said, Mike, you know, that part of what makes this country great is you have the right to peacefully, not Michigan, but peacefully, peacefully. protest, right, whatever you think. And, okay, fine, you know, if your opinion differs from mine and you want to peacefully demonstrate and protest, that's your right. Absolutely. Go for it. Um, but what I find... I don't mean to laugh. It is a serious matter. What I find interesting is sometimes after these protests, you get a bunch of the people who are protesting come down with COVID-19. 
because they were right. on top of each other protesting. <laughs> and, and, and then when, when I, if you want to protest, I agree with everything Anna said, by the way. It's not a question of your civil liberties. It's a question of, look, maybe you're young enough and healthy enough. I like to think I am, at least for a little while longer. Um, but you could be giving it to someone else. It's not about your it's not about you. Take the, take the me-centric look out of it, please. You know, because it, it, maybe you could survive it if, if you get it. Okay, that's wonderful. But what if in the two weeks or the five days, whatever it was, before you became symptomatic, you were around somebody's grandmother, somebody's grandfather, someone who has asthma, someone's baby, and those people don't survive. That's the point, okay? It's not about you and your civil liberties. It's about the good of society, and this is not a joke, you know, when, when people say, oh, we, the flu comes every year, and, you know, why don't we do this? This is a novel virus. There is no treatment. There's Tamiflu for the flu. There are things we can do. No one knows how to treat this thing yet. That's why we have to do this. So my only point is, if you want to protest, it's fine. You, you demonstrate your, your opinion, do it peacefully, but please keep in mind, this is not about someone took away your right to go to a restaurant. It took my, my ability to do it, too. And someone took away your right to go to a Mets game. This is about we're doing what we're doing to protect those who can't protect themselves in particular in this society, and that's why we're doing it. And you know what? When you're doing it, maybe, in fact, you are protecting yourself as well, but you're definitely protecting other people, and that's the way we have to look at it. Well said, Rich. That's well inconvenient. Said, Right? That's inconvenient, but it's not oppression. I mean, you really right. want to see real oppression? It's, it's the countries where you're not allowed to vote or your life's in danger if you go and vote. That's real oppression. And, you know, and even though young people might survive this, there are quite a number of 20-somethings, 30-somethings, and 40-somethings who have died from this virus. And then there's like the 97-year-old woman we read about or man who survived it, you know. So like in theory, that 97-year-old should not have survived it, but the 23-year-old who did die should have survived it. So, it's, you know, we're seeing enough young people die from this that I'm not going to make the assumption that just because you're young and you get it, you'll absolutely, positively survive. Exactly. Okay. All right. Let's uh, let's try transitioning this into uh, baseball. And I'll, I'll kick it off this way. I put out two tweets uh, this week. One of them, uh, and this has everything to do with baseball's 67-page uh, comprehensive operations manual that they submitted to the players' union. Uh, and with that regard, uh, in response to a tweet, I said, you know, yes, people can be trained, uh, but viruses are independent contractors in need of a host, and it stops at what we perceive to be precautions and safeguards. Viruses have been collabor- uh, excuse me, obliterating populations long before Doc Adams called for the first baseball convention in 1857. Uh, and then I said, uh, you know, wrong is too easy as right is too hard. Uh, and then another tweet I put out was, this is capitalism, and baseball is a business, has been for near 150 years. Owners are the promoters and the risk takers. 
players signed contracts and collectively bargained their terms of service. Without fans, there is no revenue, there is no industry. Period. So, Rich, again, baseball came up with a 67-page operations manual that covers everything under the sun from social distancing to spitting sunflower seeds. Uh, and extensive safeguards and protocols uh, potentially being put in place. We have two examples in the meantime with the Korean Baseball League and Bundesliga, the soccer league in Germany, as to how this may all play out. Uh, so there it is, Major League's proposal. It's in the union's hands now. What say you of the proposal? Well, I, I think the first thing to remember is that it's an initial draft, right? And, and so Major League Baseball has asked the players to come back with their comment by Friday, um, which, quite frankly, you know, Friday is May 22nd. And if you want to have baseball on July 1st or thereabouts, pretty much have to start camp, so to speak, in quotes, June 10th. So you have to have an agreement pretty soon. But, but you know, looking at some of these things, let me go in by saying I think if this can be done safely, and not in my mind, but if it can be done safely in the eyes of Dr. Fauci, Dr. Bricks, Surgeon General Adams, and, and people who are that smart, if people say, yeah, we think that this could be done safely, then I'm all for it. If people say, you know what, it, it, it's just not going to work, then I'd say that should be the answer. I think we have to put it in the hands of the experts at this point. But a couple things here. Um, it, this proposal is, there's so much in here to a point where if this were to be exactly what, which of course it won't be, but if this were to be exactly the conditions under which baseball returned, I'd almost say, you know what, just forget it. I mean, some of this stuff, I'm going to read a couple of quick things to you. Um, no spitting, okay, they shouldn't spit anyway, that's disgusting, right? Okay, fine. Um, but no use of saunas, no use of steam rooms and pools. Uh, no use of indoor batting, or indoor batting cages. Players will be encouraged to shower at home. Um, they're going to be encouraged to wear masks in the dugout and possibly use the empty stands to say six feet apart. But here's where it gets to be even a little bit more insane, is that fielders are encouraged to retreat several steps away from the base runner between pitches. First and third base coaches are not to approach base runners or umpires and players not socialize with opponents. Um, if the ball is in play, it automatically goes out of play because it's touched by more than one person. Separate balls for the bullpen. So what I'm saying is now not, it's not just about playing where there are no fans. Now you're impacting the way the game is played. You're saying – hey, you know, shortstop, there's a runner on second, make sure you're, you know, backing away from that runner before the pitch is thrown. Well, what about the pickoff play at second base? What's the pickoff play at first base? You're impacting the way the game is to be played. It's not just about the fans now and playing before an empty house. You're changing the rules, and I'm not sure that that's a good thing at all. So if, if that's what we feel like we have to do to stay safe, then I would say let's not do it. Um, some of this other stuff. Individuals must avoid physical interactions, high fives, fist bumps, or hugs. You mean to tell me when Michael Conforto rips the ball over Adam Eaton's head to end a game against Washington, he, you're not, he's going to be thinking about, oh, my God, I can't fist bump my teammate? Of course they're going to do that, 
right? And, and what's the penalty for doing it? Is there a penalty involved? Is it just guidance? I mean, it, it's this stuff, again, if this is what it's going to take, don't do it. Because it, the game, it's not a little thing. These are huge things. And so, and again, I, I emphasize that, um, you know, that this is a first foray. The players will comment. I'm sure it would change. Uh, I, I can't help myself. Just one more second on this. A couple other things. On road trips, no use of Uber, subways, or public transportation. Limited food service on in-flight. Um, lower floors to be used in the hotels. Players are asked not to leave the hotel and go to restaurants, have food delivered when they're on the road. You know, stuff like that. Um, and then there's the final thing, and I'll, I'll leave it here, that if a player should test positive, they're not going to shut the team down. They're not going to shut the game down. What they would do is they would ask that player to self-quarantine, um, and then they would test everybody else but keep things going. Um, and then the other thing, that, the one thing I think they do have right, is they've contracted with this company, Major League Baseball has contracted with this company in Utah to provide a boatload of tests. They won't test every day, which I think they should. They'll test several times a week. But what they'll also do, because the public outcry will be, you're taking all these tests, using it on baseball players, what about you know common people like myself, um, then what Major League Baseball is doing is going to take some money and buy tests to be used in the communities, like not just baseball communities, all communities, so they're giving something back. And this time I promise with my last statement. Um, when you think about finances, Mike, you know, you talked about that a moment ago. The owners say that they'll lose $7 billion if there's no baseball. They say that if they play with no fans, they'll lose $1.5 billion unless the players give something back. Um, you know, in terms of, of salary concessions. So that's certainly on the table as well. So there's a lot here. Um, I'd have to say I'm 50-50 on whether or not with all this stuff they could reach an agreement. I think there's a chance because everybody stands to lose money, and we all know money's the most powerful thing. So where people are commonly motivated, sometimes they could find middle ground. But there is so much here. It, it looks like, Wow. I mean, it's not just playing in front of empty stands. You're altering the rules. You're altering the way the game is played. There's a lot, so I'll leave it to everybody else to comment. We're going to get into the pettiness of money. But for the moment, Anna, if this flies, this proposal, that is, into the great unknown we go, uh, is this a viable plan being proposed by baseball, or is this just window dressing, in your opinion? Right. I think it's viable, um, you know, Rich just made a good point that I hadn't thought about, like where he was saying about the pickoff play because you can't be that close to the guy on second base. That is problematic because that is changing strategy and how the game is played. That almost reminds me of the new rule that's supposed to go into effect this year, the three batter minimum for relief pitchers, which I don't like either because I think it changes in-game strategy, you know, for the reason that they're, you know, compared to the reason why they're implementing that rule, to me, it's not a good, um, it's not a good enough benefit for that rule. So, so Rich is right about the changing the way the game is played. That is problematic. I would love to see, you know, and I realize 
that this 67-page document is trying to cover everything. And I think MLB is in a really tough spot because if they don't cover everything and as they go along they find holes that they didn't cover, they're going to be blasted. They're going to be, you know, they're just going to be killed for not doing everything to protect their players. Um, so it's unfortunate, but they probably have to do all those things. In terms of the things like the high-fiving and the chest bumps and fist pumps and all that stuff, maybe, maybe we can create some fun way to celebrate somebody's homer with one of those air high-fives that Pam and Jim used to do on the office, right? Jim was sitting in his desk and Pam was sitting at her I desk. I love that. And they would do, yeah, you know, they would do that air high-five. So maybe, you know, our our guys, the Mets, they're really clever. They could come up with a cute little dance that they could be doing in the dugout and in the stands and, you know, doing the air high fives or something like that. But I, I just think MLB that if they don't try to think of everything, they're going to be just absolutely killed if – someone gets sick and someone dies or many people get sick and, you know, um, but I agree with, you know what, I would like to hear Dr. Fauci and Dr. Burks and intelligent people with medical degrees. Um, I don't care about what the politicians say. Um, I care about what someone like Dr. Fauci says. So, um I would like to see baseball come back. I would like to see it come back for 82 games. I'm kind of desperate in the sense of, like, give me a half season. I'll take it. I'll just take it. No fans. You know, I'm not going to get to go to a game here in Arizona when the Mets are here, you know, for those three games. I think they were here for four games this year. I'm not going to get to go to – Colorado to go see the three Met games there, and I'm super bummed about that. But now I'm at the point where I'll just take it on, you know, on television and watch them. So if they had their ways, there's going to be a season, and they're going to conduct it safely. Let us now delve into the pettiness of capitalism and money. Right. Uh, how do we start this? Uh I just had it on the tip of my tongue, and it now escapes me. But here's the thing. I'll start with David Cohn, who recently on sports radio, local sports radio, says the biggest problem to a 50-50 revenue split is that owners refuse to open up their books. The players' union simply doesn't trust ownership. They're the ones, ownership that is, they're the ones who define revenue. And the, and, and the union, in turn, will not blindly agree to 50% of an unknown quantity. And therein lies the problem. That comes from David Cohn. We have A-Rod, uh, who's saying that the players should cave in and agree to this revenue split. But we have an active player, Tampa Bay's Blake Snell, wants nothing, absolutely nothing to do with this. 
I wish I could put it in more uh, salacious terms, but I'm not. <laughs> for as much as I want. <laughs> but, but, so, so, Rich, get up from there. Here we are, money. You know, again, money changes everything. And I want you to start specifically with David Cohn's point that the owners do not open up their books, and they're the ones who define revenue, and that the union is not going to blindly agree to 50% of an unknown figure. I wouldn't either. I mean, um, and that's one of the things. That goes back to the strike of 94. Um, I remember writing a term paper on it when I was in school, and and, and my point was that, you know, if – they really have to open their books, and, and they don't have to. I shouldn't say have to. They don't have to because they're not publicly traded. But if they want to show good faith, then open your books. Then, you know, then, then send them to an independent auditor who could say, yeah, that this looks like it's legitimate. This, this team made $500 million. This team lost $500 million. Here's the net effect on, on the game. They won't do that. Again, they don't have to, but they won't. So I don't blame the lack of trust, especially when you're saying, you know, we, we won't tell you what defines this, but we'll split it with you. I mean, come on. I don't think anybody would do that. Um, so I, I have to say that I don't blame the players on that one. And then I have to take the owners to task on one more thing. Um, you know, c- coming out last week and saying, well, you know, we, we as an ownership group, you know, we've approved this plan of a 50-50 split and starting the season here and all these kinds of things. That's, that's a really low blow in a negotiation to go public like that. And this way, when you say, we have this wonderful package that we're going to present to them, now it looks like if the players don't agree to it, they're the bad guys, right? Because right now, I'll tell you, right now, a lot of people believe that if the players don't accept this in some way, shape, or form, that they're the ones being greedy. Because the way the Manfred spun the thing, it's like, well, you know, we're all suffering here. So why shouldn't we just do 50-50? That makes sense. Good of the game. Get the game on the field. You know, and, and you, you know, you kind of. I think it's a low blow to try to sway public opinion before you present the plan officially to the other side, because now it puts everything on the other side. And and not to mention, you know, there's a big CBA coming up after 2021. That's not the way, Rob. You know, you make friends and influence people. You know, that that's not the way you do that. And um, I know he's a skilled negotiator, and obviously he's looking to get the best deal for his people, and I completely understand that's his job. But at the same time, it's also dirty pool, in my opinion. And so I think what's happened is a tone of it being contentious has already been set up. Um, that's why you have Snell coming out with what he said, and um, other players have jumped on it too. So now not only do you have to work through safety protocols, you have to work through the money thing. That's hard enough. You think about everything I just read. That's hard enough given a global pandemic. Now you have acrimony on top of it that I don't think had to be there. You know, shut your damn mouth, Rob. Come up with your plan, whatever it is. And, of course, what you're going to offer is going to be advantageous to you. Give it to the other side and negotiate in freaking silence like you should and stop trying to play public opinion against the other side. I just thought it was awful, and I'll leave it at that. Uh, to pick up where Rich left off, Anna, you know, like I said, you have billionaires versus millionaires battling this out in public. Right. Uh, I'll say it right. again. This is capitalism. Owners are the risk takers. Before we even get into Blake Snell, let's exclude him from this. 
you know, A-Rod is right. the ironic character in all this, telling the players right. to cave in. So where do you stand? Right. So that line that you use, that the owners are the risk takers, I 100% agree with you. And I agree with Rich's take that he just told us. I am 100% on the side. If you make me take sides, I am on the side of the players in this particular argument. And this is why. When you are an owner of the business, you are the risk taker, but you are also the one who receives most of the reward. You have your expenses, which are what you pay people to work for you, uh, what it costs to operate the business, right, to turn on the lights and all that stuff. But when your business makes Whatever the number is, your business makes a million dollars, and what you're paying your worker is 40K, let's call it. Do you then turn around and say, hey, I'm going to share this profit with you? No. You, you get to capitalize on that like these owners do. Them suddenly turning around and telling the players that they want to split revenue because there is no revenue, you know, so now they want them to take the loss with them. It is a low blow, and I, I don't agree with it at all. I think the players do need to take a stand on this. Um, A-Rod, I completely disagree with A-Rod, but I usually disagree with anything that comes out of A-Rod's mouth anyway. I can't stand <laughs> listening to Sunday Night Baseball with him. It's such a bummer when the Mets game is on Sunday Night Baseball because then you have to listen to A-Rod unless you turn off the TV and just listen to it on the radio. But um, A-Rod, you know, it's almost laughable. The guy who signed a $250 million contract and then a $290 million contract. I'm pretty sure that if he was asked to take part in the losses of revenue by owners, I'm pretty sure he would have said no. Um, Blake Snell, at first I was unhappy with his comment, but then as I read down in the article... He said, I mean, honestly, it's just scary to risk my life to get COVID-19 as well as not knowing and spreading it to others. I just want everyone to be healthy and get back to our normal lives because I know I miss mine. That softened his very, there's no way I'm taking a cut. And, you know, I signed on for a certain amount, and even though we're not playing the games, I'm not playing for any less than what I signed on for. I feel like it's a decent compromise from everybody involved to say, okay, you pay me to play X number of games a year, and that's not happening. So if I need to take a prorated cut, I feel like that's a fair compromise, and Blake was not saying that. He was just saying, if you don't pay me my $7 million, I ain't playing. And that I was a little like, eh, I don't know that I agree with that. But then when he said, you know, look, I'm afraid of this, I can totally understand that, that 
he it sounds like he really is afraid of what can happen and maybe he wasn't expressing it as well as he could have so to me he's like the middle guy um you know like i kind of half agree with him and half don't i don't agree with mark texera i'm not even saying his name right i don't agree with him like i'd play if even um I had to play pennies on the dollar. I because again, number one, if he was still in the league, I'm not sure he would feel exactly the same way. And you know, I, I don't really agree with that because if that means taking the revenue share, then no, I don't agree with it. David Cohn, I 100% agree with. Absolutely, because again, the owners are not going to be honest with what they actually like what is the revenue they're going to hide that they're not going to put on the plus side so then put it on the plus side of the balance sheet for the players as well so no i don't think the players should take a revenue share it is the job when you are a business owner it is your job to take these risks to pay for these items what are these baseball players now teachers and you're going to expect them to buy pencils and paper and poster boards on their own um and think about this do you know any other business other than major league sports where you get taxpayer assistance for your facility i work with a lot of businesses that employ people that do not get taxpayer built facilities these owners do these billionaire owners get taxpayer assistance to build the facilities in which they operate they get assistance already the players do not need to assist them in this matter you are listening to a Metsian podcast. Our guest, our guest this evening is Anna Bryce, hailing from Arizona, major Met fan. At this point, I do believe we're rejoined by Sam Maxwell. I hear the sounds of the city in the background. Is that true? Sam, are you there? Oh, I'm here. Sorry for the delay. Um, you hear it in – I'm now in the car, so you are not hearing the on-location sounds of me actually in the streets of New York. Um, well, uh – Quickly bringing up to date, we've been through Major League's comprehensive package uh, submitted to the union. We went over that, but at the current moment, we're talking about the capitalism and business of baseball. Owners are looking for a kickback. That's problematic. What say you? Well, you know, I was listening to some of it. I had to go for a hot second, and one of the first things that, that came to my mind there's a lot of different places for me to go, but I'll start with A-Rod. What's interesting about A-Rod is that we now know he's trying to become an owner. So the fact that he is taking the angle of the owners and that the players need to make a concession doesn't surprise me considering that he's trying to become a part of that club. Uh, one of the things I've always thought about David Cohn is how astute, you know, one of the things I've noticed is how astute he is. Uh, and he's always made a lot of good sound, smart baseball points when others don't, you know, focus on that. And I, and I think that is a, a fantastic point. I think, uh, Anna, you just made it, and I mean, it's something that going basically all the way back to, you know, labor and ownership in general in this country, 
but sports in general, there's always been this argument as to is this a private venture or a public good? A little bit of both probably, but at the same time, does that mean that taxpayers need to be spending the money on building these places that are, of course, getting more people to, to spend money on your business? So it, it's, it's a very strange thing. But I'll also say this, and, and not to – obviously, like, my, my thoughts on it, I haven't read it. They're, they're a little scattered uh, just based off of, like, picking up what, what some, uh, some of the things that you guys were saying. Um, but but I'll, I'll leave – I'll finish the point about, you know, players versus owners about this. I know that, like, for me, I, I don't have a salary. I'm basically on a, a daily wage. <clears throat> Whatever I make, I make on a daily basis don't make what I need to make, I, it, it hurts and it, it's, it's hard, you know, and you have to stretch a dollar, as they say. Uh, and, and these billionaires and millionaires, they're playing with larger money than I'm talking about. Uh, so it, it sometimes it is like we're all in many ways trapped in this cycle of, of capitalism and commerce. Uh, and, but, you know, at the same time, though, I, 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 I know that it, it might be bigger money, but I also know that, like, I, when I hear they're going to lose the amount of money they are, it's not that I cry because they're not going to make more millions on top of their other millions and more billions on top of their other billions. I kind of get the idea from, from just whether it's individual or a business that this is stuff that it's going to be very difficult to make back. Well said, my friend. Uh, let us bring Blake Snell into this. Sam, I think what you say is a perfect segue. I think, you know, sometimes people either don't want to or fail to put things through the translator. I think his problem wasn't so much his message, but that his delivery lacked uh, tact, T-A-C-T, tact. So, Rich, I'll spin that back to you. Well, True. I, I mean, you know, he reacted in the moment. He probably said, I think a couple of players came out and said, good for Blake, because he said what all of us were thinking. Um, but he said it in a very upfront, and, you know, he said, look, uh, if I'm going to go out there, I think he used the term the Rona, and, and risk getting the Rona, um, you know, playing for less money, you know, <laughs> hell no, I'm not doing that. Um, you know, and he was very direct, but I think a lot of them are thinking the same thing. You know, they're, they are. I mean, it, they're not for they're not first responders. I get that they're not in that kind of risk. They're not doctors and nurses and respiratory therapists. They're not taking on that kind of risk, but they are putting themselves out there in society during a pandemic, and so they are taking a risk. And so, yeah, he he, he Mike, you said it right. He lacked a little bit of tact, but he said what was on his mind, and I think a lot of people lined up behind him. Um, contrast that to Bryce Harper who, you know, didn't agree or disagree, but he kind of took a different spin on it and said, well, what if we did it this way, come out with an alternative? Which I have to say, like him or not like him, at least he was thinking about a productive solution. You might not like his solution, but at least he was, you know, it was productive. He, he was saying, look, how about, you know, I have a few ideas, listen, hear me out. So, um, but yeah, but as for Snell, I think, what is that old cliche, the pioneers take all the arrows, right? You know, he was the first one to say something. He probably didn't say it with, um, you know, the, the best uh, the best filter in place. But it, at the end of the day, when you, when you look at other players' comments, I think most are saying, well, he said what we were thinking. Right. Anna? 
And you know what? I forgot to mention something about the owners and what they're not thinking about right now. So if they decide, if it gets decided that there's no baseball season this year, I think it's a bigger problem for the owners than anybody, and this is why. Right now, what, what we're telling people in business, what they have to keep doing right now, especially if you're a business that all sales have stopped at this moment, like, you know, because of this pandemic, no sales are happening in your company, what do you need to do? You need to prepare for the future. So you need to think about, so like you need to keep marketing your business for three months from now, for six months from now, for nine months from now, et cetera. Okay, you need to build your sales pipeline, all of that. You, keep, you need to keep doing all those activities. I think baseball, no baseball in, two, in 2020. This sport is already struggling, and why are they coming up with all these silly new rules, right? The three batter minimum, we need to speed up the game, blah, blah, blah. We're losing, we're losing audience, we're losing audience. The casual audience is already a huge problem for MLB. Okay, it's not a problem for someone like me because I'm coming back regardless. Um, although I did strike against Major League Baseball for three and a half years after the 94 strike that they had, I did not watch a single game from August 11th, 94 to the day that Mike Piazza was announced that he was coming to the Mets. So if someone like me would strike this league, a casual fan is going to, if they're not missing baseball right now and no 2020 season, they're not coming back in 2021. So now what does fan and audience look like? You know, who cares about three batter minimums you're going to have a real problem with getting audience back if you don't have a season this year. So I think it's really important that the owners, look, they need to look at this and say, we're not going to make a profit this year. But according to all the reports I've seen, the past three years, they've made profits in the billions of dollars. So you know what? They're just going to have to take a hit this year like every small business is doing, like every medium-sized business is doing, and every large business. We're all taking a hit. But if you are not constantly marketing and preparing for the future viability of your business, you're going to be in trouble. So this is very short-sighted, in my opinion, um, on the owner's part. And I found myself agreeing with Scott Boris, the owner, uh, the uh, agent. Holy moly, I'm agreeing with Scott Boris? I almost want to slap myself because I never agree with him. But I'm yeah. with them on this topic. I'm marking this date down, May 17th. I agree with Scott Boris because I never agree with that guy. That's a great point. Uh, Sam? Go ahead and pick up where Anna left off. I mean, I, I, I said earlier, you know, this is going to be a, a great 
if not classic case in social studies and business 101. Well, just thinking about the kind of – was it, it just this past offseason where Scott Boris had like a billion-dollar offseason. He got, he got his clients a billion dollars. Look at that. Um, and, and, you know, it's just that's when we think Scott Boris is part of the old crew. He comes storming back reminding everybody he's the most important agent in the league. Uh, you know, they're, they're supposed to go, they're, they're going to negotiate a CBA in 2021. This entire thing is obviously bringing up, um, you know, points that we, that, that were probably very, very under the surface. Uh, you know, the, the casual fan, it, it, it wasn't uh, clear front and center as, as it basically was from, uh, you know, owners, owners and player ownership and player uh, negotiations were basically front and center for the press and the fans since like the 60s, since it all started with the union, uh, leading all the way up to 1994. Um, and now it's been so quiet, basically, from the, from the uh, collective bargaining perspective. And, and any, uh, you know, there, there, it's been very cold. It's, it's been nice. It's been good. Uh, but we had heard rumblings that there could be some things that caused either a lockout or a, a strike coming up. Um, and I don't personally have those details on me, but uh, I, I, I do know that with everything that they're negotiating with right now, uh, obviously the idea right now is to get baseball uh, back as fast as possible, um, but that might not be what the goal is come uh, negotiations in 2021. On all topics covered so far, uh, I will go around the room, socially distanced, of course, and ask if you have any last words on coronavirus, how they're handling it, the season, etc. Before we move on, well, since I, 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 I haven't, uh, I haven't been around. I will also follow up with the whole uh, uh, fist bump, elbow, whatever. I mean, that's the thing. I liked what she was saying. I, I, I think I chimed in. In fact about uh, Jim and Pam, and it, it's going to be creative things like that. You know, there's going to be some sort of camaraderie, as you've seen going through the city, going through whatever town you have. Uh, you know, we, we, we elbow bump with a little bit of a smile. It's, it's really, even though it could become the social norm, there's always, like, for the people who used to handshake, we're always going to find it funny. And, and, you know, crack a, a grin at each other whenever it, it, it uh, comes up. You know what, Rich? That's a great point. I never thought about that until now. You know players are going to come up with new and creative ways to celebrate. And at some point, mm-hmm. we're just going to rack up laughing. What do you think? And, and let's also, like, there's no pile-on, no walk-off. You can't do, <laughs> you can't do the, the 25-man pile-on. Rich, end this on a good note. Well, you know, Reyes did it, right? I mean, Reyes used to have those dances he did with the different players in his first go-round with the Mets. He, remember at one point he had a different dance for every player, like, you know, Delgado or whoever it was. Um, and so why not, right? And the NFL, look what the NFL does. In the NFL, they banned, you know, you're not supposed to mock the other team, excessive celebration, that kind of thing. So they've found other ways to do it, you know, where these guys, like, they act like cheerleaders or whatever. You know, they, they find a way. So I'm sure that, that baseball could find a way. But can you imagine, yeah. though, the first walk-off 
that is a, in an emotional game and they can't run on the – or they're not supposed to. I think they would anyway. Can't run on the field, you know, can't rip off Michael Conforto's shirt. You know, can you imagine how weird that would be? But, yeah, that, I and guess they so, could find – It's so funny. I, I was just going to say, Rich, it's really funny that, that uh, just when we have exposed skin celebrations, the virus yeah. comes up. Exactly. And it is going to be weird. Yeah, it is going to be weird that first time that there's a homer. Like, they're going to probably run to the edge of the dugout and then remember that they can't, like, pile on each other. So it will be weird. But I fully, fully expect them to come up with something fun and cute, and we're going to laugh, and it's going to bring smiles to our face. So I think it can be done. And one last thing about the owners and, you know, and again, their stubbornness right now is I'm reading a sport, sporting news article that says the owners no longer want to pay prorated salaries because it would cost them more to do that than simply canceling the season. And again, I think that's short-sighted because studies show when you stop doing normal business operation like marketing, for example, and I'm considering 2020, like this is just a marketing expense for them. That's how they have to look at this. We need to keep MLB in the eyes of viewers. It's going to be one big marketing experiment. If you don't do that in times like this, it takes your company five years to regain your market share. And that's exactly what I think will happen if they stay firm on this and this season gets canceled. Again, fans like the, the all four of us, we're going to watch regardless. Even if 2020 doesn't happen, we're going to be really ready for 2021. But the casual fan will never come back because they're they're used to this. This I consider myself in perpetual All Star Week hell. <laughs> it won't be it's long. That that's, that's a good good way good way to put it. And the, the, she's absolutely right. Like uh, there could be people who generally might not be interested in turn, tuning into a ball game. But now that baseball's back and, you know, sports haven't been around, and most likely in the summer, it's still going to be the only state, you know, the only sport on other than what would have been the Olympics. So, yeah, you know, she, she's right. And you can all of a sudden, you know, maybe people have patience who haven't had patience who have been calling baseball boring forever. Right. And maybe right. now they will. Right, they're, exactly. They're really going to have to rethink their their entire business model. And you bring up points, great points. They they really are. They're going to have to rethink their whole business model. Uh, and as we've been it's saying, it's not just you know, this, this far, year. No, absolutely no. For their business model continuing forward into the future, you're absolutely right. Uh, but you, you know what? I, I'm glad we're there at this point. I, I hadn't intended on bringing this up, but I, I raised this to your uh, collective attention prior to the show in the email, and here's the question. A pandemic can make people do strange things, especially when it comes to self-preservation. Baseball owners are no different. 
Without a 2020 season, do all 30 Major League Baseball teams survive and return next year? Considering baseball's desire to reduce minor league affiliates, could it be that larger market clubs are growing tired of carrying smaller market clubs? Is contraction in baseball's near future? And before I release that to you guys, the counter to this I saw today on Twitter, somebody raised the point that most often than not, baseball baseball owners' answers to their plights and dilemmas has always been expansion because of the expansion fees that they collect. I'll leave it at that. And Sam, what say you? Uh, it's very interesting. Well, first of all, I just want to say I am now in, you know, on location walking in the streets uh, in Elf Kitchen. Um, and, you know, it's interesting because they have been talking about expansion. We've been hearing that, you know, so they, they don't have to have interleague play every day anymore. They were going to be adding one team in the American League, one team in the National League, basically making it 32 teams and 16 each. And it's so it's funny that all of a sudden – because of the way that they're looking at the minor leagues and because of the virus, uh, what you're bringing up, uh, maybe, you know, I, I mean, how do you do that and still get Montreal a baseball team again? Uh, and whatever other, and then, you know, I think it seems as if expansion in many ways is one of the things is that baseball and Montreal, the city of Montreal seem to, understand that they want to try it again um, because there's a big there's a big baseball fan base up there um, and a big love for the Expos. And so I don't know. Uh, it, it, it's interesting because, you know, you do, you, you look around and, you know, as much as I appreciate the Joe Robbie Stadium was the first place I ever saw a major league ball game, uh, do you really need the Marlins? That's a great right. point. And Anna, you right. hit the bulb over my head. And, been, and, so. and, and again, and again, like they've never been able to sustain mm-hmm. any sense of, of fan base coming. Nobody's ever gone to games, even when they were winning World Series. Again, you're right. Yeah. And Anna, you hit the bulb over my head. Expansion of contraction. Which way can the swing? Well, I really hope that after this season, whether they play a season or not, that all teams can survive and live to 2020, 2021. Um, I feel like that should be able to happen based on the fact that they say that major league owners over the past three years profited in the billions of dollars. So I really think these owners just, they need to understand Yes, this is a bad year. I mean, 2020 has been a terrible year for really everybody. And let's look to the future. Let's start working on it now. I would love to see expansion because I um, personally do not like interleague games every day. That's too much. Interleague was fun when it was like two or four series a year 
and you got to see the American League like two to four times a year. I like that. I don't like it every single game. There's one interleague game. That's too much. Um, so I would like to see expansion. Um, I think it would be great to get Montreal fans a team again. And then I don't know who, where else they're thinking about going, but I would like to see expansion. Rich, jump in. Well, you know, uh, side note, when I read those articles about, you know, what, what would happen if there's no season, isn't it interesting? I think it was Heyman. I, don't get me, quote me on that. Maybe it was Jeff Passan who wrote. I think uh, it was Heyman. Maybe it was Heyman who said that certain teams would suffer more than others, obviously, if there is no season. And he goes, teams like the Marlins and the Mets would would stand to suffer the most if there's no season in terms of losses. And I guess it's because, you know, the Mets have so much debt on uh, on City Field. But isn't it interesting that the Mets are mentioned in that conversation with the Marlins? <laughs> I mean, that's, no, it's just, it's that's, just ridiculous. Oh, it's actually ridiculous. <laughs> let that sink in for a minute. New York City, yeah. baseball, crazed New York City, with Miami where they could give two craps about baseball, honestly, let's face it, but, but judging by the attendance, and the and and the Mets and the Marlins. The Mets are right there in the conversation with them about teams that are. I think the term that I read was perilously balancing themselves financially. The Mets and the Marlins, same conversation. And that's the only so, reason. And the only reason are because of the Wilt bonds. It's the number one yeah. reason. It's the only reason. It's because of the Wilt bonds. And and this isn't just like like me taking an angle. If the Wilt bonds weren't running the show the way they, they do. And not saying they need to be running the show like the Yankees. It's just that the the the, the Wilpons are responsible and all be all. No question. They are. No question. And if they only yeah, and if they only sold when we've been asking right, all the fans have been asking now for years. Sell the team. You can't afford to own them, so sell them. And they've ended up really screwing themselves, right? Even pulling out of the deal with Steve Cohen. Oh my God. They, I mean, obviously nobody could have foreseen this, but man, did karma slap them in the face really hard because they, they're now going to have to take anything uh, versus something that was pretty good for them. They could have had the check signed and date before Wuhan was ever in the conversation. It's true. Exactly. The value of the asset has plummeted. All Major League Baseball teams have taken a hit, but the Mets have certainly taken a huge hit. And um, and what they can get for it now, you know, to use the term of, of my, our best friend Mark Teixeira, pennies on the dollar. Um, right. But, but you know, getting back to answer your question, Mike, um, in terms of teams surviving, look, we're hearing the Marlins won't survive if there's no baseball. Um, we're hearing, you know, other teams might not. But that you said it the panacea might be expansion because apparently the expansion teams would kick in a billion each. So do the math, right? So let's, let's just say they played without fans this year, hopefully. And let's say the, let's take the owners at their word and say that they would lose 1.5 billion in that scenario, 7 billion with no baseball, 1.5 with the current contract structure with the players and fans, uh, baseball, with no fans, 1.5. You, you tell people, but, you know, here's your life raft. We're going to expand by two teams. And isn't it interesting that you'll get $2 billion infused, you lose $1.5 as an industry, 
two billion gets infused, then we'll make you whole, right? So um, my, to answer your question, I do think some teams will hurt, will be hurting for sure. I do not think you'd see any team fold. Um, they would find a way to, you know, revenue share, whatever it is, to prop those teams up until such time they could realize the revenue of expansion, which, as you said, Mike, tends to be the cure-all. Yeah, I agree. Well, if you don't mind, I have a couple of tidbits here. Uh, one of a serious nature. Sam, you brought up the old crew before, and speaking of that, you know, once a man, always a man, right? Art Howe has contracted coronavirus. You know, uh, look, on this podcast, we've made live situations before, uh, but in more serious times, sometimes you've got to step out fantasy world and into the, rea- the, the, the realm of reality and, and wish this man and his family well. I figured I'd throw that around the room. Sam, you want to go first? Yeah, you know, uh, it, it's just one after the other you hear in different places of pop culture or sports and or sports. Uh, and now we've heard about uh, Art Howe. And, uh, you know, it, it, luckily, I guess, it, you know, who knows what the details are right now, but the fact we haven't heard anything else so far, um, hopefully he's fighting the fight right now and going to be recovering. So, you know, wish him and his family nothing but the best. And, you know, it's it's tough because the family probably can't even see him right now. Just all these different things that come to mind when, when you think about this. It's just you just shake your head and hope for the best. Best of luck out there, huh? Um, if I could jump in on that, I just read that he was released from the hospital today. Right. Um, That's what I'm saying. Oh, great. Great. great news. He said he's feeling somewhat better. Obviously, he has to be to be released. He's feeling somewhat better. He says um, he made, a, I guess, a joke that, you know, he, he's not so much on eating because he can't taste anything. He's completely lost a sense of taste. But he said that, um, you know, he, he's been, obviously, if he's been released, it's a good sign. Uh, that's great news. So here at Metsian Podcast, on behalf of Anna, Mike, Sam, and Rich, uh, thank goodness, great news, and we wish you well, Mr. Art Howe. Uh, another tidbit, folks, uh, Jay Horowitz, uh, Horowitz wrote a book, Mr. Met, uh, about his 34 years as PR guy. Sam? That should be a very interesting book. He has been it just, it just, just, just even like for me thinking about what could be in that book exactly. Um, and also, I guess, thinking about what could not be in that book, uh, the stuff we'll never hear about. Um, you know, it, it's, it's going to be a really, really interesting read. And, you know, congratulations to him for uh, the release and also the career. Anna, talk about fly on the wall. Jay Horowitz, and not for nothing, he's done a great job, uh, you know, bringing back old Mets back to, back to City Field and, you know, commemorating their careers and, accomplishments he really has and i'm sure i'm sure we all feel this way as soon as that book comes out i'm buying it i can't wait i just bought brian wright's book for myself and my mom uh and i just started reading it and i only read through the first player that he features which is tom Seaver. And now I just want to keep reading it, and I confess I've cheated. I've looked through the entire book to see which players 
he's featuring because I'm just so interested in reading about all these old-time players again. So I can't wait to see uh, to see Jay Horowitz's book. But this kind of stuff is really fun, and I love reading about stuff like this. Brian Wright, author of New York Mets All-Time All-Stars. We've had him on the podcast. Right. Uh, yes, yeah, uh, you did. Rich, Rich, uh, you know, this is going to be a great book, I think. Yeah, I'm, the Jay Horowitz book? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, well, you know, right, when you've had 34 years of being the PR guy, I um, – I think there must be quite a few stories, um, you know, that, that'll come out. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I'm sure it would be an interesting read. I, um, you know, I, I, I'm not sure how I feel about it. I mean, I might, might not get to it. I, I haven't bought Ron Darling's second book because, or third book, actually, I think it is, the one where, you know, he kind of like told all about stuff that caused a big controversy with Lenny Dykstra and all. Um, I don't think Jay Horowitz's book would be one of those kiss and tell books. I just can't see that happening, especially seeing, well, you know, Darling sold the organization, too, and he had no problem doing it. Um, but, you know, th- those kind of things give me the creeps a little bit where, you know, people live something in a certain way and then write about their friends in a, I don't know. I- I'm not sure that this book would be about that. I'm sure it might be a more humorous vein, but sure, I'm sure it'll be interesting. All right. Is uh, everybody ready to go back into time? Uh, perhaps and reminisce over number 54. Let's do it. The list is short. Uh, as far as players. Read the list. Have, as far as players, we have Mark Clark, Brian Lawrence, Alex Torres, Tim Stauffer, and most recently, TJ Rivera, local boy, as far as I'm located. Uh, so, like I say, it's a short list. And, Sam, I'm going to start with you. Similar to last week, you know, if we really want to make number 54 something uh, much more illustrious than it is, we have to refer back to 1962 and the coaching staff and, and a certain pitching coach named Miss Red Trucking. What do you think of that? Well, there's a, a few names that pop out. Uh, Red Ruffing certainly sounds familiar, but I'm going to have to uh, – oh, he's inducted into the – well, he's a, he's a Hall of Famer. There you go. I was about to say that I have to catch myself up on Red Ruffing's biography. But, uh, we like, yeah, like we've talked about, you just keep seeing some of these Hall of Fame, Hall of Fame playing names, like uh, last week it was Rogers Hornsby, all starting off uh, 1962 – it's so remarkable that so there's so much, whether it's some of the players on the roster or the coaches, how many unbelievable baseball minds in history were together while the Mets just kept losing and losing and losing. And, and, and let's just also remind our audience about 1962. They lost like half of those games they could have easily won, and they lost 120. So it's just so interesting the way that the narrative took place, the way the narrative formed, and we've seen it so many times uh, with the Mets, where, where they, they leave the tying run on deck or on base, uh, the tying in winning run. And um, anyways, just you know, going down a little 62 rabbit hole there, you see Whitey Herzog ward for a year in 1966, obviously as a coach. Uh, Al Jackson pops up here. 
uh, as a coach, what's interesting about these higher numbers is that we're going to start seeing some of these players that we discussed already, but, you know, we can, we can kind of just reminisce a little bit more. Uh, also speaking about 1962 and Al Jackson, the pitcher on that team. And then you also have uh, Charlie Huff. Uh, that's how you pronounce it, right, guys? Charlie yeah, Huff, yes. indeed. Yeah, so, so he uh, coached in 2001 and 2002, knuckleballer. Um, I believe at some point did work with uh, our R.A. Dickey in uh, him transitioning into a, a <coughs> excuse me, a knuckleballer. Um, and, you know, now you get T.J. Rivera, who, you know, he had a chance for odd second to really grab that, 19, that, that 1954, that number 54. But it's just, it's so... It's so crazy how all these play. It's, it's it's whether it's Met history or baseball history. You see these the names of sometimes these local boy heroes. You know who who were heroes amongst their communities from a baseball perspective growing up. Uh, and and TJ will probably continue. I believe that he's from um, Frog's Neck in the Bronx. Is that correct, guys? He's from Bronx. Something yeah. like that. Right. So so you know. Yep. And we thought he was we. We thought that he could easily be the second baseman of the future. He was basically Jeff McNeil before Jeff McNeil was Jeff McNeil. And, you know, knock on wood, but Jeff McNeil keeps being what he has been, an all-star. Uh, but it's just, it's remarkable the way narratives, you know, the shifts can come and go. Thinking about Pistol Pete Reeser in my other world, you know, the, the other things that I'm researching. Pistol Pete Reeser, everybody says, is the greatest ball player they ever saw. And, you know... The average fan has no idea who I'm talking about. Now, just to clarify, if you go on Baseball Reference, it gives a list of the active players, but if you go on Ultimate's database, it gives you the extended list of players and coaches who have worn the number. And, Rich, one of the people is Rube Walker, a catcher who became, I don't know, the most popular pitching coach of of our childhood, right? You betcha. I mean, pitching coach for inclusive 14 seasons, and uh, that's a long time. When you look at some of these other people who have come and gone as pitching coaches, you know, the aforementioned Charlie Huff was a pitching coach for two seasons. Um, You know, some of these other guys, you know, remember Bob Gibson was the Mets pitching coach for a year way back when under Joe Torre. So, you know, pitching coaches and managers, and what's the average tenure if, if I had to ballpark it three to four years, right? Um, typically the pitching coach comes with the manager as a package deal. Uh, but when you think about Rube Walker and 14 seasons inclusive, yeah, that, that's pretty amazing. Um, and looking at the rest of this list, you know, I, I'm going to go to two names on here that maybe are a little bit less uh, prominent. Uh, first one being Brian Lawrence, who was a Met for a hot second, you know, 8 2 to 9-30-2007, uh, I should say. 8-2-2007 uh, to 9-30-2007. He was a pitcher, former Padre, and um, had had done well at the Padre. I think he uh, had a very good rookie season, if I recall. Came to the Mets when he was trying to hold on. He was still young. And if you remember down that awful stretch of 2007, when we all know what happened, Brian Lawrence had a couple of starts and, and did not do well. He had an ERA close to seven as a Met. So they brought him in when they were desperate for some starting pitching, and, and he was pretty bad. And so I remember he started a couple of those games in September. Um, I know he started one in Washington and got pounded when the Nationals were a last-place team, and I think another against the Marlins when he didn't do well. So 
Brian Lawrence stands out for bad reasons, albeit a short tenure, not a good one. Um, and then Alex Torres, um, if you remember, he's a left-handed reliever. He was the guy who wore the protective cap on the field. Uh, because, And we found out later that the reason he was wearing a protective cap on the field was because he had been hit in the head you know, many years or a few years ago and had a concussion thing, so it made sense. But And while I'm not trying to minimize that, I just remember going through Twitter when he would be on the mound, and people would say that his hat looked like a um, an inflatable wrapped from an airplane, like in an emergency. <laughs> they were calling him inflatable wrapped hat. And, and I just thought, I wish that was original. I wish I could take credit for it, but I can't. So I just thought that was That's freaking funny. hilarious. And um, that is so, that is some funny stuff. So Brian Lawrence, uh, for bad reasons, Alex Torres, who was not a bad reliever, but because of the hat. So uh, those are my two people to comment on. And it's very easy, by the way, I'll just say this in closing, to, re- to forget Whitey Herzog had a role in this organization from 62 right through 66. You know, he was on the field in 66, and he, I think he was an assistant to the GM for a bit. Um, and here's a guy who tormented the Mets as Cardinal manager, so – you know, our, to our younger fans, or maybe fans uh, 40 or under, who may not know that, that Whitey Herzog um, you know, had a decent amount of impact on the Mets when they were a very young organization. Rich, one of my biggest what-ifs in life is what could Bing Devine and Whitey Herzog have done together uh, as, a, as executives of the Mets. Oh, my goodness. Anna, number 54, what say you? Yeah, number 54, I have to go with T.J. Rivera um, because I remember his years with us. You know, not that he was here that long, but he seemed to have a very positive effect on our games, and I know he didn't play a lot of games with us, but he's got that 300 batting average, you know, with the Mets. And my best friend from high school, she was a big fan of his, uh, when he played with us, and believe it or not, she's like a bigger Met fan than I am, uh, so you can see why we get along. But I just remember him getting the big hits, you know, score, you know, helping us win games, and it was very positive. And then when he wasn't here, I remember me and my friend saying, "Oh, we kind of miss him." So he's the number fifty-four I remember most. And one last thing about Red Ruffing. Uh, again, Sam, I can't help but go back to 62. What a great story that season is, though, regardless of 140 losses. Excuse me, 120 losses. No, it was 140 losses. Uh, a Hall of Famer for the Boston Red Sox and New York Yankees. Uh, you know, again, what a collection of names that 62 team had. Uh, but I digress. Folks, I think that's a wrap. Unless anyone has any outstanding issues, I say we get to our final word. Going once, going twice. Let us move on to our final word. Sam, I will start with you, sir. Sam. Composure. I'm, I'm, I'm here. Uh, composure. Okay. <laughs> uh, composure, diplomacy. Uh, um, if this is going to happen... Like, don't be, don't have animosity when when going. Don't negotiate in bad faith. Um, 
try to make it work as much as possible without damaging what, you know, you could possibly be damaging for the uh, next year, the negotiations with the CBA. So that's really where I'm going with it is just uh, take it easy, you guys. Anna, once again, thank you so very much for joining us again on the Metzian Podcast. Thank you for your time. Uh, please take a moment, tell us what you're doing, where we can find it, and uh, move on, please, to your final word. Sure. And thank you all for inviting me again. I always love these conversations we have, and it's fun seeing you online on Twitter and keeping up with you that way as well. And... You know, again, I'm out here in Scottsdale, Arizona, so if any of you are coming out this way, you have to let me know, and we'll get together, and we'll follow social distancing rules and maybe have a margarita or something. And, um, you know, and again, I'm just working hard, plugging along with my marketing services company, Pinnacle Peak Marketing, and I'm just really hoping to have a baseball season. Uh, One thing my mom and I do, I talk to her every day, but during baseball season, what we talk about is the baseball game. So I miss that, and I know she misses uh, the games being on. And like Sam said, I hope that both sides of the table can be nice, come together, realize this is good for everybody. I feel like we all, and I'm talking about just all of us as human beings, need some stuff like this. It would be great to have baseball back. You know, um, a lot of television had to end their seasons early. So there's not even any of that going on right now. So it would just be nice to see our guys again back on the field with fans or without fans. I'll take it any way I can get it at this point. And can I also for having me on again? And can I also go go off of what Anna said about just you know grabbing a margarita six you know six feet of course, but that, that's something that you're seeing from from this is that people need people and people want to interact with people. They need social interaction in some fashion. And as much as we all get in each other's way and we all kind of suck, we're all kind of awesome. And, 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 you know, that, that's, that's why people are reacting the way they are, because it's weird. We, we, you know, it's, it's weird to not be hugging people, to be embracing. It, it's, and, and so I appreciate you mentioning that, and if I, if I do uh, make my way out there, we, we can toast with the mask on. Absolutely. Absolutely. Rich? I'm going to recycle my last word from last week and say interesting. This past week was interesting. You know, we heard about the proposal, and we talked about it earlier in the show. Uh, This will be a very interesting week. The players are supposed to respond, and um, I have a feeling that by this time next week on Memorial Day weekend, we will have a really good idea of whether or not this baseball season will happen. Um, We'll have to because we're getting close on the calendar, but also once the players respond to this, we'll see if, it looks like, hey, you know, they have to work some things out or, oh, my God, they're on two completely different planets. There's no way this is happening. So this will be an interesting week. I'm going to say pay attention. You're watching history unfold. 
for better or worse, you're watching history unfold before your very eyes. And as this evening's host, I'm going to take liberties here. Sam, you brought up social interaction. Yes, we're social animals. Uh, some of us are more animals than others, I guess. Uh, but what I want to do is I want to give a big a big shout-out to our friends out on Twitter. You know, in the absence of real games, there's many, many of you out there who have been making the days and nights very fun and entertaining. So shout-out to everybody. You know who you are. Uh, that said, I'll turn it over to Sam and have him wrap this up the only way we know how. Until we do have games again, the only way we can say it is let's go Mets. Can't wait to say it in person. Let's go Mets. Let's, let's go, go Mets. Good night, everybody. Let's go, go Mets. Good night, everyone, and thank you. Thank you, Anna. That concludes episode 54. Good night. Be safe, everyone. Good night. Good night. Bye. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.